to the Clemson Dubcast Friday, June 11th. Hope everyone out there is having a great week. Paul Strelo's recent weeks have been uh, consumed with covering Clemson recruiting, the Dabo Sweeney football camps. If you are a member of TigerIllustrated.com, you know how fantastic of a job Paul Strelo does and continues to do. That, of course, extends into this weekend. If you're a recruiting junkie, never a better time than now to sign up to get all of Paul's great stuff. For the last eight or so years, honored to have worked beside Mr. Strelo, TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville highway in clemson for more information go to foundersfcu.com if you're in the eastern midlands and pd area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home commercial property land need to consider reaching out to uptown realty they're based out of sumter and run by a friend of mine patrick enzer big clemson guy used to cover the tigers in a newspaper capacity longtime supporter of tiger illustrated longtime listener to the dubcast the home buying process should be an enjoyable experience so let patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting all you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to uptownrealtysc.com All right, the last 13 or so years have been quite a ride for Bob Thomas, who lives in Tallahassee, Florida. He was a longtime newspaper guy, then was laid off in 2008, went over to work for Florida State in uh, sports communications, and then was a victim of some uh, pandemic-related job cuts and is now media specialist at Florida State University College of Medicine. So Bob's been around a long time, was really close with Bobby Bowden, a trove of institutional knowledge and story. So here we go. This is a good one. Enjoy. All right, joined by Bob Thomas, a fellow uh, newspaper dinosaur <laughs> who I've known for a long time. I guess it's... Um, Late 90s, I guess, when I was at the Augusta Chronicle. I started at the Augusta Chronicle covering college sports, and you were with the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. We, our, our, our newspapers were sister newspapers, a part of the uh, the Morris uh, Corporation, I guess it was called. I don't even remember. Morris News Service. Morris baby. News <laughs> Service, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You and, know. And, yeah and you were uh, covered Florida State all those years. So I uh, wanted to catch up with you. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you, Larry? Doing great. Doing great. I was, the reason that I reached out to you is, uh, well, first of all, how long did you, co- when, give, I get, let's do just sort of a general synopsis of, of your background. How long did you cover Florida State? What, from what year to what year? Well, uh, you know, full time with the Times Union uh, for 14 seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I got kicked to the curb uh, late in the 2008 season, 
but uh, so you know, but it, for the most part, it was 14 full seasons, and uh, and and prior to that, I had worked for another uh, Morris Outpost, the St. Augustine Record. At which point, I you know had my in, in, indoctrination to FSU athletics, and you know I. I'm, uh, I, I've had the uh, rare pleasure of covering three national championship victories for Florida State, which uh, uh, I, I, I may be—I I may have a slight edge. I, <laughs> I, it's not—you it, know—I, uh, you know, to 1993, 1999, and uh, 2013. So yeah. yeah uh, Covered three Heisman Trophy winners, so I think I still got. I, I, I it might, might might still have a little scoreboard, but not much. You, you, you dominated. <laughs> you dominated that scoreboard. Although I would argue, and we'll see what you if you agree. Okay, so Deshaun Watson and Derrick Henry wins it in fifteen. Uh, sixteen. Lamar Jackson wins it. I can't really argue with Lamar Jackson. I'm sorry. Like I said at the time, like. I voted for Deshaun in 16, but come on, man. Lamar Jackson was just a sensational talent as he's gone on to show in the NFL, of course. But 15, I think I think one of the, you could argue that Deshaun should have won one of those, right? You would think. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I mean, he just, you know, if he was, uh, if he had been more active with his feet, you know, I mean, if he had been more prolific and he was very effective, you know, he, he was clearly a better passer than Lamar Jackson. Clearly, yeah. he's not. That, that's not even debatable. Um, but but he just didn't have the wow factor. You know, he wasn't hurtling over guys. You know, at the end of fifty-yard touchdown runs, zigzagging down the field. That wasn't who he was. You know, he was a, he was effective, but he wasn't uh, spectacular in that respect. But you know, my gosh, he was. A, yeah, uh, you know, and until that most recent long-haired guy showed up, I mean, he <laughs> was a, you know, uh, transcendent quarterback, you know, in a program that, uh, you know, uh, had long fashioned itself for uh, rolling out guys uh, who were athletic and played the quarterback position. You know, going back to uh, the guy who's the head coach up here uh, in Tallahassee on the school on the hill, Willie Simmons. So yeah. You know, it, you know, there there've been great ones for sure, and and Deshaun certainly in that conversation. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, you know, sheesh, you know, yeah, yeah it's kind of hard to hard to hard to pick. Uh, you know, it, you have the same argument I have, right? I mean, if you if you, if you really want to, you know, crunch the numbers and try to decide, tell me who the greatest quarterback in Clemson history is. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be Trevor Lawrence. You can make an argument for some other people. You know, you, you actually can, you know, much like we can make the argument in, in Tallahassee, you know, and, and the argument is made frequently. Is it Charlie Ward, Chris Wenke or Jameis Winston? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and there are a couple other guys that are pretty daggum good too, whether you're talking about Danny Cannell or, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, Cannell, Cannell played in the NFC championship game, you know, uh, 
he he was one of the best pure passers the ACC had for many many years until we, you know, until the game continued to evolve and yeah we started seeing these West Coast type offenses that uh, you know putting a lot more guys out in pass routes than than what they did back in the back in the mid nineties so uh, the the game changes but uh, the fun of debating who the best was. Uh, th- through uh, various time periods, is is will live on forever. Uh, you know that's yeah. why they have bar. That's why they have bars, Larry. <laughs> and to mes- have those discussions and, mes- and message boards. <laughs> yes. Well, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I find the bars a lot more fun personally, but hey, you know. <laughs> May, well, actually, some people might be posting uh, on message boards from bars, so or at yes, least, or yeah. at least while drinking. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> for that, there is no debate. <laughs> yeah. Well, sticking on the Heisman thing for a second, this is much less sour grapes over to Sean, uh, and 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 more just a fundamental complaint with the the award and the way that it is handled. You would it would stand to reason, and feel free to disagree with me here. Because you mentioned that 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 uh, you know Deshaun didn't run, wasn't as much of a runner. You know that's by design. That was by design, particularly in '16 when they're trying to protect him. Uh, so they sort of held that element of their offense uh, up their sleeves. You know for the opportun- for the for the occasions when they would really need it, which usually is the postseason where they unleashed him. Uh, both of those right. both of those seasons, and he just absolutely. Uh, terrorized, I guess it was Oklahoma uh, and then Ohio State and then Alabama twice. I mean, I think Nick Saban in 15, even when he won the championship, <laughs> he, he he looked like he lost the game because he was, he was having to, he probably had nightmares uh, for a while for what Deshaun did My, in a, this roundabout way to get to the point. Doesn't it stand to reason that when the most important the, the the season the structure of the season changes to uh, to create far more importance on uh, on the end of the season because there are more games you know playoff system why not do the voting after the most important games are complete and I would argue that had had that been the format in fifteen sixteen. And even 18, when Trevor Lawrence torched Alabama, that Clemson probably would have three <laughs> Heisman trophies over the last whatever it is, six, seven years. Yeah, no, I, I mean there there are a lot of as as a former Heisman voter, uh, you know there are a lot of flaws in that uh, machination. Uh, they, they've they've changed some things. They've reduced the number of ballots. You know, they've, they've, they've done some things to try to improve the quality of the voting. Uh, but, but certainly moving the, moving the, uh, uh, the voting deadline and the announcement to a time uh, when, uh, you know, everything has been said and done uh, would, uh, would, would probably give you the unequivocal uh, player of the year. However, I would warn the 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 argument out of that will it it would unfairly weight the postseason. And I'm not sure 
you know, what about, yeah. you know, Lamar, Lamar, uh, you know, they didn't, you know, does he get the short shrift on that? You know, you, you wonder, uh, you know, because he was spectacular, you know, he was spectacular all year long, but he didn't have the postseason opportunity. So, uh, you know, you just want, you wonder, I mean, you know, with the bowls being uh, a watered down version of what they once were, um, you know, and all the focus uh, on the playoff, which, you know, as we're uh, steaming toward a 12, 12 team field, apparently from what I was reading yesterday, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm a little leery that uh, maybe a, a, a really worthy candidate on a, a team that might not uh, quite have all of the uh, weaponry to get to that postseason uh, may get left out. Uh, you know, it, I, I think you could argue, though, that the expansion to maybe a 12-team playoff would make it a bit fairer because it would provide more opportunities for say the top two teams in a conference to go as opposed to just one. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, I don't think that, you know, you're always going to have an argument, uh, you know, when it's, you know, whether it's, you're talking about the best generational player, the best player in a season, uh, the MVP of the team, you're, there's always going to be a debate. And, uh, but, but to your point, I, I do think, uh, you know, the Heisman voting comes, a bit premature, uh, and you know it does not allow uh, for the for the stars to shine on their brightest stage, you know, or or not shine, you know, or or, or, not or get or get you know undressed, you know, or come apart at the seams because of the pressure, you know, it can go both Se- ways. Seems like a couple of uh, there have been a couple of Oklahoma quarterbacks through the years that uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we could go back probably quite a few years and maybe throw a Nebraska quarterback in there too. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, under, under the old, under a, a revised system with a later deadline on the voting, uh, might not have, uh, might not have won Heisman trophies. So, you know, but anyway, it is what it is <laughs> so you, you you transitioned after uh your newspaper career well first of all what you said you got kicked to the curb what happened did you get late did you get uh, i got yeah i i got laid off um i had dodged i don't know three or four rounds and uh of uh you know staff reductions and uh and then they uh they decided they no longer needed or wanted uh an fsu beat writer and i probably should have seen that coming um probably should have seen that coming you know uh maybe i think i'm pretty sure it was 2006 florida state went out to colorado for a regular season game and uh my boss said, Hey, uh, don't bother booking a ticket. Now we're just not going to spend the money, you know, the, you know, the playing in mountain time. And, uh, you know, and at that point, uh, you know, the, the website in quotations was, uh, uh, you know, it was, you know, an afterthought. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, 
yeah, we weren't writing for the website, you know, and who was going to post that, you know, and, you know, that was an end of the night job for some best dude, you know, just slapped everything on there. And, uh, so, yeah, I probably should have, I probably should have thought that maybe this is a sign of the times, but I didn't, you know, and I had an opportunity, uh, you were going to, you know, what happened before. So, uh, you know, I actually had an opportunity to come to Florida State as a sports information director for basketball uh, right on the heels of uh, the 99 season. Mm. Uh, and I could have uh, I, I could have been the basketball SID, and I actually turned the job down. Uh, it was in the uh, uh, short-lived and now long-forgotten Steve Robinson era. And, uh, you know, and, and I had a great round of meetings with Steve and Dave Hart and Rob Wilson. And uh, it was my job. Uh, you know, all I do is say yes. And I decided, you know, I, I don't think I'm done with this journalism thing. I mean, I really love being a beat writer. I, you know, it was a passion. And uh, so, I, you know, so I just kind of delayed that by about uh, 10 years or so. So. In 2009, uh, yeah, in 2009, I joined the sports information staff as Bobby Bowden's last football SID, mm. uh, following uh, uh, the departure of Jeff Purinton to the University of Alabama and Nick Saban. So, uh, so if you're looking for a segue, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just. What what is that transition like? Uh, you know, the general fan pr- probably doesn't understand um, the the stark difference, sort of in, in in responsibilities, loyalties, all that. Like most fans view probably view sports sports writers and communications people in the same way. Like, oh, you're all you know, you're all a a part of that program, and 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 you're not independent. Where you know, a news reporter is absolutely independent and, and your job is to write uh, critically um, about the team you're covering to be skeptical and all that then you switch to a your to an in-house uh, to an in-house operation just the transition what's it like going from you know being mr. independent chronicler of Florida State and then to being to working for them well you know I the one thing that the similarities are pretty simple. It's a people business. And I always felt like my job as a sports writer was a people business. You know, you got to know players and coaches and you knew what the fan base was interested in. And, uh, you know, you could follow storylines and, you know, whether that was throughout the length of an entire season. So from that perspective, uh, you know, I've always placed a high value on treating people fairly and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just trying to tell good stories. So that part of it didn't change uh, really much at all. Now, what were the differences? Well, first of all, I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. I mean, you know, just... I, one of my first assignments, I started like the first of July and, uh, the football media guide was due in, you know, a week or two weeks. You know? And I'm going, well, 
and that predated the uh, the paring down of those guys. So you're looking at 300 page, you know, monstrosity. I've done a lot of writing in my time, but uh, that that's a lot of work. Yeah. And you know, and, and and mostly it's done by the entire staff, and somebody just kind of co- you know pulls it all together and does some of the you know, and then you ship it out and have somebody design it and everything else. So that was that was piece number one, um, and then trying to find my footing on you know here I had a twenty some year relationship with Coach Bowden. And yet the head of the department, Tina Thomas at the time, unrelated, uh, later became Tina DeChose, um, she kind of had handled Coach Bowden's, quote, affairs, you know, just in terms of uh, some of his availabilities and whatnot. So my role wasn't really as clearly defined as, uh, you know, what I would soon learn. I would, you know, I would have wanted to ask other questions that I didn't ask. Um, so yeah, there was some, some of that going on. And then of course, uh, uh, by the end of the year, when things had really gone south and, uh, you know, I find out on a Monday morning that, uh, the president TK Weatherall and Monk Bonasort, uh, Randy Spetman had gone into coach Bowden's office and said, coach, this is it. We're we're you're not going to get another year, and uh, and then it was like oh crap, all right, oh and on top of that, Coach Bowden, maybe for the only time of his life, said, well I'm not going to talk to the media, you talk, you you not me, but you yeah, know, yeah. TK and Randy and everything else. TK wasn't talking. He put out a you know one paragraph statement. Randy, who never wanted to talk to the media, you know, was, you know, he was not talking. Uh, now, you know, the coaches obviously weren't talking. And we had football games to play. Jeez. So my first and, and uh, one of my first major decisions was um, how are we going to navigate a Florida week, a bowl game, all of this stuff? With, uh, you know, with the fact that, uh, you know, these players are going to be available because practice is open. So I decided that uh, I was going to pull in uh, Christian Ponder and Dakota Watson and conduct a press conference. Uh, they were two of our captains and uh, allow them to uh, answer questions about what Coach Bowden meant to them. And of course, that scene was, uh, you know, uh, chaos. Uh, you know, just in terms of the amount of national media that descended on the campus, and by that late afternoon when we set up that press conference. But those two guys handled themselves with great aplomb, and uh, you know, made me proud, as I knew that they would. And uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I had any unanimous support. Uh, you know, for my decision, but, you know, as I told the media that, that on that day, I said, it's not fair that these hundred guys on this football team have to answer questions about something they had nothing to do with, you know? And, uh, I said, here's two guys ask away. Uh, you know, I'd prepped them a little bit, you know, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, that's when you realize that, uh, you know, the scope of the job was uh, all encompassing, you know, uh, you know, that uh, you have some fires and uh, sometimes they're brush fires and you can stamp them out. And sometimes they're, you know, four alarm fires. It just, uh, so it was interesting for sure. Yeah. Interesting times. And then I was Jimbo's first SID and then uh, Jimbo decided he wanted to go into another direction which, you know, was another thing I never had any idea, really, that the football coach uh, could dictate such matters. But oh, lo and behold, because I dealt with really one of the finest human beings that's ever walked the planet in, in Coach Bowden. And now, you know, now we got a, a different dynamic, you know, um, and, and someone who's very much uh, about controlling the message. And, uh, you know, so it was a it was a hundred and eighty degree flip and. And it made the 2010 season uh, 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 a, a bit of a challenge. Yeah, you, sort of providing some clarity on, on on the progression you talked about, or maybe you could argue regression of of uh, of this whole dynamic. That's the the, the Fisher uh, model is. is has become quite popular. It's this, really the Saban model of hiring your own, like a, a head football coach, hiring your own guy, your own communications guy. Dabo has done that um, instead of like the traditional. Uh, the traditional model is the your sports information director is hired by the athletics director, works for the athletics department. Uh, still, is is you know works closely with football and and has a you know a close relationship with them. Uh, but the the latest trend is is them hiring uh, head football coaches hiring their own in house guy who's in the football office, not over in the athletic department. Am I am I describing that correctly? Yeah, that's that's that's. I think everything works a little bit differently, uh, and, and every shop is run differently a bit. Um, but but clearly, the football SID is uh, you know three hundred and sixty five days a year. Uh, locked and loaded at the hip of the foot head football coach in today's world, um, without question, um, especially in a power five school. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think, I think that part is accurate. And of course, you know, the fact that Jimbo had been Nick's offensive coordinator at LSU, uh, meant that there were going to be some similarities to, you know, what transpired, you know, in, you know, in, in Tallahassee, uh, even though, uh, Jimbo and, and Nick are, are quite different in, in a lot of ways. Uh, there's also a whole lot of similarities. So, and, and to be fair, I, f- I feel like we have to acknowledge that there is a reason, uh, there's an added reason in today's climate today's landscape uh to control the message because it's not just newspapers and radio stations anymore it's social media controversy uh, a controversy can get can blow up in a in a in half a second and turn into something you have you know that you have to 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 rein in and so there is a a legitimate there's there is some legitimate reasoning for the coaches wanting to control the message in, in ways that they really didn't back in say the eighties or nineties, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there, there are certainly factors. Um, 
I, I'm not sure. I'm not totally convinced that you can't run a shop much like Coach Bowden did um, uh, and be successful and effective. Uh, with, But it would take an extraordinary coach to do that. Um, you know, uh, an extraordinary coach like, you know, perhaps the one that, that you work with on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. Hey, if, if the leadership at the top of your team company, you know, fortune 500, it says, listen, this is the way we're going to do things. And if you're not on board with that, then, you know, you know, here, here's, here's the transfer portal, you know, um, I'm not sure that, you know, strong leadership couldn't, uh, dictate that, but, you know, we're talking multi-million dollars and, uh, you know, that impact not just a football team, but an athletic department. And, you know, and let's face it, a university. Yeah. A community. Um, so, so, you know, community, university, you know, I mean, so, uh, you know, I, while I do see the need for a more comprehensive work with the coach, develop a plan, here's what we're going to do, cure our talking points. Um, I, I also see, you know, I, I also believe in the other side and letting the athletes be themselves and learn a little bit, you know, uh, about, you know, accountability, uh, even if that comes with some difficulty. I, can you just imagine? I, rem- I remember the 1999 season after the Peter Warwick, Lavernius Coles fall out for the deep discounted shopping spree. And uh, I remember Peter getting off the elevator and we were all sitting in the old atrium. We, as the beat writers, were sitting in the old atrium at the Moore Athletic Center. And <laughs> Peter walks out and pops, sits down on, uh, on, the, on the couch in the atrium and utters the immortal words, well, it's not like I shot the president. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the fact of the matter Twitter didn't exist then. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But if it did, wow. Oh, man. Um, can't imagine. Yeah. yeah, can't imagine. But, you know, wow. So, yeah, it, you know, those days are long gone. You're not getting those sound bites anymore. You know, you're not, you know. Uh, of course, you're also not getting to know your athletes anymore. Yeah, that's a and our problem. and and your fan base isn't genuinely getting to know your coach and their staff. Um, they're they're getting a uh, very tailored look at their football team. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Solero Communication 
Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. I was telling I was telling somebody recently that if today's restrictions and such, if that framework had that framework been in place in 2008 when Tommy Bowden was out and Dabo Sweeney was in, my first introduction to Dabo Sweeney would have been after his opening, after his, you know, introductory press conference in October of 08, even though I'd been there for four or five years, because I would not have been able to talk to him, develop a relationship with him as a receivers coach uh, over the previous four or five years. I mean, as it happened, and again, it's hard for me to imagine this, this uh, arrangement existing nowadays, but like the McFadden building, which was the, those were the football offices at the time. Right. When I start on the Clemson beat in um, January of 04, my method of going and meeting the people I was going to cover other than Tommy Bowden was walking right in the door of the football offices and <laughs> poking my head in their offices and saying, Hey, you got a minute? I'm the new guy with the Post and Courier. Hey, Dabo Sweeney, you know, uh, you got a second to chat? And you plop down on their couch in their office offices, and that's how you develop a relationship, whereas I can't imagine it'd be, boy, now if you're if reporters were able to do that, it's just, it's just hard to really picture that because the, the, um, the definition of, of media, you know, beat reporter, has become so blurred. Like now it's not just newspaper guys, you know, four or five newspaper guys who are trying to cover it. It's all these blogs and websites and people you don't even really know if they have a business and (laughs) hangers on and such. So, um, anyway, it is, it is fascinating how it's all unfolded over the last decade or so. Well, you know, uh, Sue Hall was coach Bowden's longtime secretary. And there isn't a beat writer from the 70s, 80s, or 90s that that Sue doesn't know on a first-name basis. Mm. You know, and we would pop into Sue's office. Hey, Sue, hey, do you, do you know, if Coach, have, Coach, have a few minutes after he takes his nap after lunch. We can <laughs> grab him before practice, you know, or whatever, you know. Or, you know, pop in your head in Mickey Andrews' office or, or Chuck Amato or whoever, you know. Um, yeah, uh, I remember sitting on coach Bowden's couch and this must be, 
I'm going to say it's right, probably around 2006. You know, and he used to always joke, uh, you know, he, you know, coach, you think about retiring? He goes, ah, no, not really. You know, it's like, uh, there's only one big, big event left, and I'm not really anxious to get to that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and, but I remember uh, having a one-on-one with him sitting on a sofa there, and he's got his feet up on the desk. And I, and I said, you know, what, what is it about, you know, retiring that, uh, that bothers you, you know, that, that you're worried about. And, uh, you know, he said to me, he said, Bob, he goes, I, I don't really know, uh, if I can have the same impact on people, you know, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, by doing, uh, you know, speaking just at churches, I, I don't know that people will really want to listen to me. But, you know, and, and, you know, and hear my message and, and, you know, uh, which was often faith centered. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that just struck me. I mean, that, that hit me hard to hear him say that because that lets you know just how humble and genuine that man was because Coach Bowden was, working probably 48 weekends out of the year speaking at churches or the boys clubs or, you know, you know, he wasn't on the IBM circuit like Krzyzewski, you know, making, you know, a quarter of a million to speak to a board for, you know, 45 minutes. You know, he was, you know, he was preaching the gospel. He was, you know, he was trying to tell people what, you know, his vision of what was important in life. And, uh, and for me to, to see him just not understand the platform that he had, that was just kind of shocking, you yeah. know? Um, you know, today's coaches, if they had the time, and none of them do because of recruiting cycles and everything else, and the pressure cooker that is the job, um, you know, They'd be making Shashevsky like money. I mean, you know, and they do make great salaries, but, you know, go find out what Mike makes a year outside of his, uh, outside of his basketball contract through Duke. It's big coin. Yeah. And, and a lot of it's big coin because, you know, he's, he chosen to be one of those speakers, one of those, you know, corporate speakers that commanded, you know, uh, you know, top dollar. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, it's different time, man. Different time. So, can you refresh me on '09 when they basically told Bowden it, it, it's over? What was his preferred sort of timeline? What did he want to do at that at that b- before he was told that? Well, he wanted to get to ten, and he wanted to get to three hundred wins back. I mean, that that was kind of you know he, he wanted to coach one more season. Mm-hmm. Now. You know, I, I I would I would suggest that uh, coaches and athletes of uh, Bowden's era and you know and maybe even past that, you know, are a lot like professional boxers. They all got one more big big one left in them, right? They, they you know, so who knows really where it would have gone? But you know, Coach Bowden wanted to you know get back out in front of you know because he had those wins taken away. Uh, 
you know, by the NCAA for really ridiculous reasons. Uh, you know, uh, actually, uh, they wouldn't stand up now, you know, but they were struck from his record for, uh, you know, for the quote, uh, test cheating on a online music course that, uh, all of FSU's athletic programs suffered from because there was a proctor in the back of the room shouting out answers. Mm. Uh, you know, and you know, the track team lost the 2007 national championship as a result. You just, that's one, you know, Leonard lost games, you know, coach bad lost games, Mike Martin lost games. Sue. I, I mean, yeah, there's more asterisks in the, uh, FSU media guys than you can shake a stick at, uh, because of that. And, and, and as it turns out, you know, Miami, uh, when they had their dust up, few years back, you know, and they tried to strike those games and, and you know, the, the NCAA had, you know, said, Oh no, your guys are going to be fine. Then turned around and reverse field on them and said, no, you're going to have to, you know, vacate all these games. And Miami said, well, that's not what you told us. And that's exactly what happened at FSU, um, you know, some years prior. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the vacating of the games. I, you know, the games were played. The outcome was had, you know, uh, you know, I mean, if, if it's so egregious, then you, you bring it, roll out the SMU death penalty. Uh, but if you're talking about a proctor for an online music class, uh, hollering out answers on an exam, uh, and you're going to alter the lives of student athletes and coaches and everything else. I'm not condoning that behavior, uh, by that proctor. Uh, but you know, if you were just in the room and even ignored what the proctor said and had already answered that question, should you be punished? Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole philosophical can of worms. Uh, your listeners are not going to want to get involved in. So, <laughs> so what? Um, so, what was the? Was there a general sentiment of the FSU fan base at that time? Were they just sick of the mediocrity and sort of ready to get a move on, or was it a really divisive topic in '09? Well, um, I think the loss at Boston College was the tipping point earlier in the year. Um, you know, I, I I won't go into great detail because I can I can name some names and I'm still employed here and so, but but there was a, there was a presence of some well moneyed people that said this 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 can't go on, and uh, you know and and certainly the fan base was not happy, uh, you know because they had seen the you know the the slow erosion that that really probably began in earnest, uh, with, uh, Mark Rick's, uh, departure for Georgia, uh, you know, prior to the 2000 national championship game. Well, he took the job prior to the 2000 national championship game and then tried to coach the game. Um, so, you know, that was, that was kind of the, you know, start of the tipping point, but you know, you and I, you had sent me, uh, you know, when you were reaching out to me, you, one of the things you had talked about was, you know, what, what kind of led down that road. And, and, and there's not any one answer, you know, there, I mean, you know, 
uh, Florida State uh, probably hadn't done, you know, as much as it could have to stay ahead of in the arms race. I mean, you know, Doe Campbell Stadium was the, you know, was the flagship for ACC football for, you know, the better part of two decades, you know? Yep. Uh, I mean, it was the, you know, and then North Carolina, you know, redid its stadium and took it up a notch. And Florida State didn't keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Uh, so you had that, you know. Um, you know, Florida's unique. Tallahassee's unique in the sense that, you know, uh, it's not near anything. I said, if you draw that 50-mile radius around the university, uh, you know, half the population is fish. <laughs> you know? I've never heard that. That's great. You know, I'm, I, you know it's, what are you near? Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, two and a half to three hours to Jacksonville, you know, and uh, to Pensacola. Four hours to Atlanta, four hours to Orlando, Tampa. You know, it's not really a population center. And then, of course, you had, you know, there were other things in play. The economy, you know, got a little wanky there in the mid-2000s. And, uh, and you know, the local businesses were grasping at straws how to, uh, you know, how to maintain things and uh, you know, one of the things they did was they started instituting a two-night minimum on football home weekends, and suddenly the Best Western rooms were going, you know, for three hundred dollars a night, you know, and two-night minimum, and then the product on the field was down. So, you know, so economics was in play there all all along, and. I, I would suggest that, you know, uh, from from Coach Bowden's standpoint, um, you know, his responsibility in, in this is that, um, you know, it's you've heard the adage, uh, every man's greatest strength is also his greatest weakness. And, um, you know, Coach Bowden, one of his greatest strengths has always been his loyalty, his loyalty to his people. And... Uh, you know, and whether that was, you know, Chuck and, and, you know, Mickey and Mark Richt and, you know, but you know, and then Billy Sexton's of the world and uh, Jimmy Higgins there. I mean, you know, those guys were all together through the glory years when, when it all got going. And um, there was no real evolution in how they went about recruiting, uh, how they, you know, how they X and O'd things up and the game was changing. So, and then when you started to have departures, uh, Florida State was not paying top dollar for assistant coaches. Coach Bowden was, uh, you know, the first million dollar head football coach. You know, um, million-dollar-a-year head football coach. But you had guys on the staff who'd been there a few years that weren't making six figures. Yeah. And and so when, you know, the market shifted because it had been these people were happy. It was a family. This is what they did. They loved Florida State. 
they had great success. And now they move on to something else, Chuck to NC State, Mark to uh, Georgia. And instead of going out and trying to bring in, and this wasn't always the case, but instead of trying to bring in, uh, you know, fresh eyes, young upcomers, whippersnappers, you know, guys who are, you know, suddenly have a handle on the social media aspect or, you know, uh, you know, really indoctrinated in the, the ways of the, the high school kids. Uh, they promoted graduate assistants in a lot of cases. Or they brought in people like Joe Kimes, who was Mickey's close friend, you know, and former Alabama teammate. And, um, you know, and Joe was uh, brought in as a linebacker's coach to replace Chuck. But Joe was a read and react SEC guy. Florida State was a Sikkim yeah. defensive team. You know, Jody Allen replaced uh, Jim Gladden. Uh, you know, Jeff Bowden infamously replaced Mark Richt. Um, so instead of seizing the opportunity to get better with fresh eyes, new thoughts, everything else as the game was evolving, that didn't happen. And then suddenly, you know, technology took off. Um, the league started getting better, started getting some better coaches. You had young guys like Dabo that were stepping in, um, you know, that had different thoughts and saw the game differently. And, uh, you know, once that ball got rolling in that direction, you know, uh, it was uh, it was impossible to stop. It really was. That, that's my that's my view from the uh, from the armchair that I had to sit in. You know, back in those days. Yeah, really fascinating because you know the the people. I don't know if people understand the impressive thing about what Saban is doing, or I guess one of the impressive things, one of the most impressive things, and about what Dabo's doing is, man, it is so hard to, 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 to maintain. <laughs> it requires constant reinvention. Um, Saban, you know, the supposed stick in the mud as of eight or nine years ago has become the master of adaptation, adapting his offense, to the realities of rules that favor offense, uh, changing the body composition of his players, getting sm- going smaller on defense, uh, just amazing. And even and and here in Clemson, I mean, Dabo says every year they start from scratch. They do, uh, I guess, in July, which will be next month, they spend they do the old hideaway sessions, which right. uh, which, which Florida State, I guess, did that as well. But with Dabo, I mean, I, it's a very clear and fundamental uh, part of his of, of his model is is that start from scratch every single season go through every piece of the program with a fine tooth comb examine each each position in any everybody who's employed within that football office they 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 critically examine that position you know what they have done what they need to do better um and that's such a crucial part of maintaining uh is avoiding that complacency 
Uh, and you wonder, just thinking back to Florida State, sort of sinking into that, where you don't really realize that it's happening until it's too late and that ball is, is rolling too fast down the hill. You wonder how much being in the ACC might have contributed to that because if you're in the SEC, it's more of a 365-day-a-year thing where you're constantly looking you're looking over at other powerhouse you know, programs that are striving every day to get better and that competitive aspect is more pronounced. Does that make – does that, well, job, I, does that I, job with you? Yeah, I mean – and, 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 you know, a, a quick lesson on revisionist history that the FB, uh, the SEC invented football, <laughs> um, you know, there, there was a time through the 80s and 90s that uh, the SEC didn't beat Florida State. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, neither did the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the Pac-10 or, you know, the, the Pac or, you know, so um, – you know, they, they had evidence, you know, that what we do works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and how do you get to, how do you get to that point? You know, how do you have someone that acknowledge that on your staff that acknowledges when you've got no turnover? that, okay, well, we need to kind of look at doing some different things, you know? Um, you know, th- there, was a, there was a little spike in the mid-2000s when uh, Kevin Steele came on staff, and uh, Kevin had brought with him uh, a lot of zone blitz stuff. And, uh, you know, Mickey was not a big fan, and Kevin's got a real strong personality. Of course, Mickey Andrews has a strong personality. But, um, that was, uh, that was really, really, uh, they had some guys like, you know, Cameron Wembley, Ernie Sims, uh, they had some really, really good football players and they had some success, you know, they, they were making, they were, you know, they had a stretch there where they had, I think four guys drafted in the first round. It was very, very, um, you know, they, they were losing some games they shouldn't have lost. And they had some players and, and those players were excelling in, in, in that scheme a little bit. And that's because Mickey agreed to allow that to kind of happen and, and let Kevin have some influence on that. And it wasn't an open arms kind of thing, you know? And then ultimately, um, you know, the scuttlebutt is that, you know, Kevin was trying to position himself to, take over for coach Bowden and of course so was Chuck Amato and a bunch of other people too you know so you know you had that going on you know um I can't help I'm sorry to interrupt I had to laugh because here we are all these years later and this past fall it came out that Kevin Steele was trying to position himself to get to get the Auburn job after after Malzahn left, and he had the support of some of the major boosters, and it look, was looking like it was going to happen. Then he's at Tennessee, I guess, doing the same thing. I guess, I guess that trend goes back a long way with uh, with old Steele. And 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 by the way, that's how he became the head coach at Baylor. Yeah, uh, because uh, I I personally know Chuck Reedy, uh, who uh, Kevin was on his staff. Uh, as the DC and Chuck was a St. Augustine native. 
took him took Baylor the, and Baylor was you know gosh awful in the day got them to a bowl game and then the next year went five and six and or something like that and was done and Kevin Steele was a head coach so you know what they say about Tigers not changing stripes <laughs> no pun intended there <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. And then the, you know, seal was here as you know, and, and, uh, I don't think he and Dabo got along all that well. And, uh, that, that ended after the 70 to 33, uh, lost to West Virginia in the orange bowl. But I think what happened, the, the common sort of, uh, uh, take from, uh, you know, what happened with the, you know, the reason Steele left is, Oh, well, he, it's 70 to 33. Well, no, there was more to it than that. Uh, the, in the days leading up to that game, from what we had been told, Steele was quietly talking to Tennessee about going there, and he did not tell Dabo, and Dabo found out about it and flipped out. And so I think that was as much of a factor, perhaps, as anything. And Tennessee was his alma mater. Yep. Yes, yep. sir. Uh, you know, there's lots of untold stories, brother. <laughs> lots of untold stories. What a, so, I mean, there are so many similarities, striking similarities between Clemson's current run and the run that you covered, um, at Florida state back in the, uh, I guess their run went from 87 to, to 2000. Was it, was it 14 straight years with top five finishes, I think it was. Top five finishes and ten win seasons. That's insane. And what's really insane is Clemson is uh, is getting close to that, which I yep. one of the most remarkable runs in sports. And that's why you know some people say that FSU wasn't a dynasty. I think that that stat right there qualifies them as a dynasty because it's just astounding. Um, the Bowden Dynasty documentary that ran on the ACC Network, I guess it was like two years ago, maybe. Um, I'm assuming you watched that. I thought it was tremendous. It really uh, provided a sort of fly-on-the-wall um, view of, of, of that run and had a lot of great, great footage, locker room footage and, and such. And I, 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 my, I could not get away from the feeling watching that, that, man, this feels like a lot like Clemson and there's probably going to be a similar documentary you know 20 years from now on Dabo's run and it's going to look and feel a lot like the Bowden run you agree with that yeah yeah I mean uh, you know there there are certainly a lot of similarities and you know from from the way those two gentlemen both talk Uh, to uh, their political leanings, uh, their religious beliefs. Uh, uh, let's just say, let, let's just say that technology will be kinder to the Clemson version of that documentary, just <laughs> because of you know where we are in terms of uh, uh, digitalized media. You know, uh, it, it'll be uh, it'll be a showstopper. It'll it'll be like uh, you know when you throw on the the Bowden Dynasty, it'll it'll be looking like the old uh, Jimmy Stewart movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it it'll be uh, it'll be quite the production, you know, because of where we are, uh, which also kind of underlines the change in times in the game and the way it's played and the way it's coached and the way programs are managed. 
you know, uh, different times, different eras, uh, you know, and you can, as I, uh, continue to celebrate birthdays, which beats the alternative, uh, you know, I realize that I'm a lot closer to being a part of those, of that era, uh, the Bowden era, the Bowden dynasty era, uh, than I am, uh, of being, uh, in the, uh, social media, uh, savvy, uh, 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 recruiting website driven, you know, all hands on deck alert, you know, that we're in today, you know, uh, it's, uh, it, you know, you just, you know, time moves on things change. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I've learned, uh, I've learned the hard way in a lot of respects that, you know, embrace the moment, enjoy the ride, uh, because it's not lasting forever. And, uh, you know, know, I've learned that personally and professionally, you know, Uh, know, because I I, I sure as heck at age 60 didn't expect to be out of work, you know, and have to try to reinvent myself again, Uh, you know. Uh, but here I am. So, uh, you know, yeah, things, things do change for sure. And, uh, we're in the wave that, uh, we're in the wake actually of, uh, the likes of Dabo Sweetie and, uh, Nick Saban and, you know, uh, I, I, Lincoln Riley, I think might end up being in that discussion. If you're looking at other up and comers, I'm not sure that Jimbo is going to have the longevity, but he could. He could be in that conversation, too. Um, but what they're doing is amazing, but it's been done before, just in a different time and uh, through different means. And whether you're talking about, you know, Coach Bowden or Joe Paterno or, you know, uh, Barry Switzer or, you know, whoever, you know. Uh, some of the people that I was uh, had the pleasure of interviewing is when they were, you know, riding high. So yeah, it's uh, you know, history does repeat itself, but there's uh, you know, but evolution doesn't stop, and and uh, you know, Clemson fans are really fortunate to be uh, riding on the right side of it. Been there, done that. <laughs> Man, it was fun. But wow, it can stop in a minute. Yeah. It absolutely. can stop in a minute. You know, there was an old, I guess the old school way of covering a beat, as you sort of alluded to for a newspaper guy, was to, you know, it's relationship driven, to be around, to be fair. Uh, when you do write something that's critical, you show up the next day. You know, you show your face so you can. You know, you'd be available. Take your, and, take your medicine. Yeah, take your medicine. <laughs> um, uh, there are still plenty of people nowadays who do really good stuff, but I dare say that the the uh, the, the, the the number the, the percentage of, of people who do it really well is probably much lower than it it, it used to be. Now you have a quite a few sort of national media folks who basically their, I guess, job or, or routine consists of sitting on Twitter, you know, for 14 hours 
a day during the season and just sort of taking shots from the couch, right? And not participating, not showing their face, not really doing much to develop those relationships. How much have you seen that sort of erosion maybe for lack of a better word over the years? And do you, are you troubled by that as both a former newspaper guy and also a communications, former communications person for a high level athletics department? Yeah. Uh, troubled is an interesting concept. I, you know what? It's like, you can be a mass murderer and have a Twitter account. And you can say whatever you want. Am I gonna am I gonna worry about that? Right. You have to make that decision if you're a coach, you know, uh, or if you're an, an athletic director. You know, people are gonna take shots, and I'm not calling some of my former colleagues mass murderers or but you know. I, I, funny that we had this conversation in our house the other day I, with my son who just graduated from high school. And, you know, I said, the world we live in today is black and white. And I'm not that not a racial right. thing. It's you're either on this side or you're on this side. And I learned to work in the gray very early on in my career because that's where the world actually exists. Yeah, so true. You know, you know, it, 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 Twitter's not the real world. That's right. You know, I mean, can it be fun? Yes. Can it be a great platform to push out really quality content? Absolutely. You know, um, who's going to Instagram for content? Anybody? No. Platform doesn't allow it. Unless your content is, you know, people in, you know, slim picking bikinis, same with TikTok. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, there, there's no, that's not a medium. It's an entertainment avenue. You know, and, you know, you have to realize you don't know anything about, you know, at, you know, Tiger fan 007 or, you know, no fan 99 or, you know, you don't know anything about those people. Why would you value their opinion? Oh, am I entertained? Sure. But who cares? You know, who cares if you do a better job? And this is where I can actually get on board with the coaches and the controlling of the message to a degree. If you do a better job of pushing out the meaningful stories from within your program and, and, you, and, and you allow a, a bit of transparency, enough transparency that you don't think it's all spoon-fed stuff, that you can actually talk to a player in person, novel concept, uh, and, and, you know, and find out, you know, that you know, his mom overcame, you know, whatever, or, you know, his dad was uh, a great high school football player who blew out his knee and never got to go to college, but, you know, was like, yeah. I mean, we don't know any of those stories anymore. None of them. But if you're, if you're in the business 
in the media relations business, you, you know, that should be part of your job to push those stories out and, uh, you know, and get them in the hands of the people who can actually, you know, because of their actual number of followers or, you know, their, their, their reach can actually get it to people so they can know your program. Then, you know, you can mitigate some of the other stuff. The other stuff is like, you know, I, I'm sure Dabo says the same thing. The other stuff is just noise in the machine. You know, I mean, that was Jimbo's, one of Jimbo's things, we, you know, he, you know, I don't believe in circle the wagons and, you know, but I do believe in ignoring the noise in the machine. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, I'm old and, you know, so I, I don't have quite the same ideas and ideals that, that some in today's media do, but you know, there's still great work being done by some people out there. Brett McMurphy does great work. Ivan Mizell, uh, despite his departure from ESPN, will continue to crank out new quality content. Uh, there are enough. There, there's just not as many of them, but there's there are good, honest journalists out there uh, eager to deliver uh, and 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 have a burning desire to to deliver quality material. And, uh, you, you know, if you're, if you're a media person, media specialist, uh, sports information person, your job is to get those stories in the hands of whoever those people are, whether it's your local beat writer or the hometown newspaper. I, I, I venture to say that a, a majority of Power 5 SIDs don't know who the sports editors are at the newspapers of their primary uh, base of athletes. Mm -hmm. I venture to say that. I, 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 I would bet money on it. You know? Um, you know, but, you know, if they did, they'd find avenues to battle against you know, this, uh, fun, but idiotic thing we call social media. So you'll probably recall back in 06 when Clemson goes down to, to Tallahassee and wins for the first time since I guess 89, Clemson had back-to-back -back wins in the rivalry. Jeff Bowden was, was much reviled at the time as FSU's offensive coordinator, that seemed like rock bottom at the time. <laughs> we, now we know different. There's a much lower rock bottom, which has is, which is, uh, exposed itself in recent years. How long do you think it's going to take before the Seminoles can, I don't even want to say get back to national championship contention. I want to say a threat. Not, not, not give away the Atlantic Division to uh, Clemson every year. Yeah, a, a, a legitimate threat. I, I guess if they're a legitimate threat to Clemson, then that that it then follows that they would be a national contender. So I guess that doesn't really make total sense. But how long do you? Well, think you got to you, you, you know you can't you can't get you can't get to bowl games and stuff if you don't start winning football games. And you know your your easiest path to doing that is playing well within your conference. Yeah. So. 
you know, um, I, I will, I don't know Mike Norvell very well, but I do know the kind of man that he is. And I am absolutely positively believe that he's the guy to get it done here. Uh, and he will do it in new and innovative ways, which if you follow what's been going on here with his mega camp that he had, um, where he invited all the other schools to come on out, we're going to put on a big camp for local kids and anybody else that wants to come. And we had ACC schools here, SEC schools here, D2s, D3s. Everybody was out here. And uh, first of all, uh, he's got tremendous infrastructure with some really high-quality people. Uh, it's not going to be as long as many people suspect. Uh, I would warn because I used to do this every year. Everybody would get all excited about whether it was spring football or the signing class or the summer coaches tour or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're going to be back this year. Now let's pump the brakes a little bit. You know, uh, I think they could win seven, seven, eight games this year. They could, I think they could. And, and that would be a significant improvement. Uh, but I also see who they're having conversations with. Thank you, social media. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm not a. You know, I know this is your bread and butter, so I won't go on a on, on a rant about uh, recruiting sites. But I, I, you know, I'm not a stars guy. Um, you know, uh, I, I know how I know how sites work. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm a bit shy about that, but good football coaches who do their homework, no good football players, regardless of how many stars are associated with them. And we've seen, you and I have seen how many three stars have we seen go on and play in the NFL? Lots of them. Sure. And maybe even some below that level. You know, so, um, you know, I, I, I do believe that this guy has got the character makeup. He's got the organization skills um, uh, and uh, he's got uh, he's got the support of the university to make that return a lot sooner than most people suspect. And I would venture to say that if you could have an off-the-record discussion with your coach there in Clemson, South Carolina, and just ask him, what do you think, what do you, what do you think about what you're seeing from FSU? I think, a, uh, a, a, you know, if it was private between two people, you know, remember when that used to happen? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? that you would talk to the head coach and he'd actually give you some context for why he did what he did. But, you know, if you burned him, he'd never speak to you again. Um, yeah, that's actually how the game used to be played. Uh, 
but it, it made you a better reporter because you actually knew what was going on. But anyway, if you could have that conversation, I think I think that Dabo might tell you that uh, he sees he sees vast changes mm-hmm. because what what happened, you know, in the last years of Jimbo, who was just trolling for the next best SEC job and frustrated with the administration uh, and their financial commitment to football. Uh, and then the ridiculously short-sighted hiring of Willie Taggart, um, who is a good man, but uh, was not ready for what this, this job was all about. Uh, I, I think you'll, I think you'll see that, uh, Things are, things are changing. Uh, you know, it's just going to take longer now because there are more players in the field. You know, the ACC is not it. You know, Clemson may be the 600-pound gorilla, but you know they did they did lose the pit a couple of years ago. How the hell uh, that happened? Right? Hey, you know? they were seven months yeah. ago. They were down 18 points at home to Boston College. Right. So, you know, it, you know, there, there are more quality football players in the ACC than ever before. And despite the changes, there are more quality football coaches in the ACC than ever before. And then when you add in technology and heaven forbid, the ACC network gets back up to, gets up to snuff and actually starts, you know, really, really, you know, ESPN puts a real financial investment in it, much like their, the SEC network. Um, it's going to keep getting better. It's going to keep getting better. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, the days of running the table in the ACC, uh, I, I think are just about over. Because the attention spans of the young men that those coaches are in charge of, you know, uh, you know, coaching up are pretty daggum short. It's real hard to get up for a Thursday night football game at BB&T Stadium at Groves Field or whatever it's called. And, and when you're, but, cl- and when you're, cl- sorry to interrupt, but when you're Clemson and every, you know, your whole program has become defined by what happens in December and, and, and January, you're going to get kind of bored uh, mentally, or maybe just sort of not your full fury, I guess, for every ACC game. And we saw that last year with not just that Boston College game. Virginia was hairy for them in the second half in Death Valley. Syracuse, a 45-point underdog, had the ball in the third quarter, I want to say, and was had a chance for the go-ahead score in the third quarter. And Clemson won the game handily, but still, your point to you're your talking point. about yeah. And to my point there, you're talking about two of really good football coaches who were attracted to the ACC jobs. Yeah, at, at Virginia and Syracuse, both those guys are really good football coaches. Now they don't have they don't have all the players, you know. Clawson at Wake Forest is a really good football coach, but because of the way they have to develop players, 
they're only going to be really good every four years. You know, as they turn over that, you know, because they redshirt everybody. They, I mean, they took a page from the Jim Grove book. They still do. They redshirt the vast majority of the kids because they're all, quote, three stars or two stars. Put them in strength and conditioning, development, teach them their system. They get better. They're a little better each year. You know, if they get that one quarterback, like the one that transferred to Georgia, you know, how good would have, how good would have Wake Forest been with him this year? Yeah. So, you know, the ACC is, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's no longer uh, as it was when Florida State joined the conference in 91, 92. Uh, it, you know, it's no longer Florida State and the eight dwarfs. Just like it, it just like while Clemson is clearly, uh, you know, the defining program of the conference at the moment. uh you know, it's not they're they're not being, you know, uh, shadowed by, you know, there's not 12 other programs that are, uh, you know, completely outclassed. They aren't. Those teams have folks going to the league, too. You know, they've got good players and good coaches and good player development. And, you know, I mean, who's who's truly terrible in the ACC right now? Oh, I'm, I mean, terrible. I'm talking about Duke Wake 90s terrible. Georgia Tech has had a big, you know, they have the, the recovery from Paul Johnson, the, 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 the shift, the schematic shift, and having to deal with that. Guys who recruited to a flex bone, I guess. But most everybody will tell you that guy's pretty sharp and yep. a really good recruiter. Yep. You know, but, you know, you can't just you're, you're signing four kids to four years and you can't just say, OK, boys, we're going this way. And you all here's your paperwork for uh, jumping in the portal. You know, I mean, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of attrition, but you can't afford to let everybody go and start fresh. And if you do, you're going to take a beat. It, it's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, they were competitive in some games that you didn't think they would be competitive in. Um, but, you're, you know, I mean, you're right. Georgia Tech is probably at the bottom right now, but I don't think anybody in the league would think they're going to stay there for long, you know, relative to, you know. Remember, we were talking about Duke teams that lost. <laughs> Duke, Duke went, I, I can't remember what their losing streak was in the ACC. It was 47 or something. It was just, you know, they were going 47 games between or 30 something, you know, back in the, back in the days of, uh, oh gosh. Fred Goldsmith? You know, uh, yeah. Uh, the gold myth. Goldsmith. <laughs> yeah. Goldsmith. Yeah. No, we used to call it gold myth. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, and then Steve Spurrier's sidekick that was, uh, you know, former uh, uh, Frank, uh, oh, come on, what was his name? He was a Duke. I'm drawing a blank. He was a head coach. Carl Franks. Carl Franks, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, Carl didn't, I don't think Carl won an ACC game in his time there. <laughs> Ted you Roof know? was there. You know, I mean, he yeah, but you know, you you know when you play Duke right now, you got to play. They got players. 
And Cutcliffe knows what he's doing. Now, you may have better players than them. And, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, 60 minutes, better players tend to win. But, you know, if you're off a little bit, you know, they're going to give you a ball game. Same thing at Wake, same thing at Boston College. You know, so, and the portal has changed everything. So, you know, you'll see how much has changed Florida State. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because they've lived in it. And uh, unlike, unlike before, they've been a lot more selective this time around because they have the right people in place. So we'll see what happens. I, I expect that you'll see a better Florida State product in 2021 than what you've seen since 2017. Well, I hope so. And I think I speak for a good number of Clemson fans when I say that, too, because they, they think most of them would like to have more entertaining uh, competition. Well, not just com- uh, more competitive well, they, games. They want, but, they want it to be a rivalry. Yeah. You know, I, it, you know, the fact of the matter is Clemson has never really beaten Florida State when they were at their best. And Florida State has never really beaten Clemson when they were at their best. There are, there may be a little gray in there. Jameis's win up there was, you know, that was a pretty damn good Clemson team that got taken to a woodshed. And like you said, the back-to-back wins down here, those were decent FSU teams. Uh, but, you know, time changes. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, hey, Listen, all I know is that um, my, my early recollections of the Clemson-Florida State rivalry, which go way, way back, uh, you know, I, I was there when FSU started the, the season 0-2 and, um, and then ran the table and uh, beat Nebraska in, in the Fiesta Bowl and damn near won a national championship. Um, you know, and, and they lost uh, they lost their first two games to uh, Brett Favre in Southern Miss yep. in Jacksonville. And then uh, who was that little dynamo running back that you had to play in the league for? Terry I don't Allen. know how many. Huh? Terry Allen. Uh, I, was it Terry Allen? Well, yeah, 80, three times down oh, yeah. here at Doke. 89. Yep. Oh, yeah. It was Terry Allen. Three touchdown runs here. And um, and then Florida State didn't lose again. And I think Peter Tom Willis was a player of the year in the ACC and, um, you know, and they were off and running, but I'll leave, I'll leave your Clemson fans with one, one funny note. Uh, and, and, uh, if they haven't tuned, tuned us out or tuned me out by now, I, I, I am a big fan of Brian Dawkins. I covered him when he played in the state championship basketball game at the Leon County Civic Center along with uh, some guys by the name of Patrick Sapp and Derek Alexander. Oh, yeah. Reigns High School, right? But I will never forget the Hall of Famer person and player that he is getting run down from behind by Scott Bentley on a blocked PAT. <laughs> Clemson fans, just who used to be your daddy. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> that is great. Bob Thomas, it's been great catching up, man. Really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Uh, yeah, hopefully you'll break this uh, podcast up into to, uh, a couple of parts because I don't know who's going to sit in for 90 minutes of this, but uh, it was a lot of fun, Larry. It's going to be one part, and it's going to be very entertaining. All right. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate you reaching out. Best of luck to you, fam, the uh, side gigs, and uh, everything else. And uh, let's not uh, – you, you still have some golf clubs that you have hidden in your trunk somewhere, don't you? Actually hidden uh, in the uh, corner of my garage with cobwebs on them, so. Well, we need to drag them out, and uh, with a little luck, I'll be uh, rolling through the, the fine Palmetto State, and uh, and we'll play again here one of these days. Hit, All right? Hit me up for sure, man. Thank, thank you, All sir. Right. All right. Take care, Larry. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks to Bob Thomas for joining us. Man, it's been a tough year for him. Uh, not just on the job front. He informed me after, and I didn't. I did not know this, uh, but he informed me after we hit stop on the podcast that last summer his son, one of his sons, uh, who's at Divinity School at Duke, was the victim of a of a of a drive by shooting and was on the edge of his life for a while and managed to survive. So a tough year, unquestionably, for the Thomas family, but one for which they can look back and express uh, some gratitude for surely some answered prayers. Here at the Dubcast, we appreciate the support of our very generous and loyal sponsors. Couldn't do it without them. Also couldn't do it without all of you who hit play on this thing every week. Really appreciate your support. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Cheers.